You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our good friends at MyBookie. If you are still looking to make some money this holiday season to put some money back in your wallet after giving out all those gifts to all those people in your lives, go to mybookie.ag, use that promo code UGA to get up to $200 matched to your first deposit. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. I am your host, Tyler, and I hope everyone out there had a fantastic Christmas, at least for those of you who celebrate that holiday. And if you don't, that's totally cool. I hope you just had some nice time off work, hopefully. Uh, But it's always great. The holidays are always great to get some time off, be able to spend some quality time with your family. But hey, as great as that always is, as great as it was the past week or so, it's game week, guys. And here on the Glory UGA podcast this week, We are turning the page real quick, and we are full steam ahead with previewing Georgia's Peach Bowl matchup, much-anticipated Peach Bowl matchup with Ohio State. You know, we kicked things off last week with an in-depth look at the Ohio State defense, and today it's the Ohio State offense's turn to go under the microscope. And guys, I know the Buckeye offense gets most of the attention. I know that's probably what you were hoping I would have started with last week when I really kind of dug in on this Ohio State team. But the reason I saved it for this episode is because I wanted to give myself as much time as possible to really dive into this Ohio State offense. And I think I'm ready, guys. I think I'm ready to give you what I've got at this point. I better be, right? We don't have much more time. So let's get to it. As I did with the defense, I'm going to start with some big picture numbers to kind of just set the stage for you. And numbers aren't everything. I always try to make sure I put that out there. Numbers are, they can be instructive, but they can also be misleading. So I'm going to try my best to give you the numbers, the raw numbers here, and then put into somewhat a context for you. But make no mistake about it, guys. Like any way you look at it statistically, this Ohio State offense is very good. Dare I say elite. I don't think it's a stretch to say that, at least from a statistical standpoint. And they have weapons all over the field and one of the most accurate quarterbacks that I have watched play in a long time. Like when you give this guy time, you give CJ Stroud time in the pocket, he's going to hurt you because he can put the ball in places that no other quarterback that we have played this season can put the ball. He is that good. But as good as they are on offense, and they are really, really good, they're still an elite offensive unit, it also isn't the death machine 
that the Ohio State offense was last year. I mean, guys, last year they had six games, almost half their games where they went for 600 or more yards. This year, they're still really good. They still put up 600 yards in a couple games, but only half as many times. They only put up 600 yards in three games this year. So yeah, still really good, still really productive, still an elite offense, but again, not the death machine that that Ohio State offense was last year because they were just unbelievably good. Let me give you some numbers to bear that out. So This year, Ohio State, with a total offense, they are 7th nationally with 492.7 yards per game. Last year, though, 1st nationally with 561 yards per game. Yards per play this year, they're still awesome. 2nd nationally, 7.3 yards per play. Last year, they were just better. It's a death machine. They were 1st nationally with almost 8 yards per play last year, which is almost preposterous, but they were 7.96 yards per play last year. Scoring, uh, they're very similar in their their overall scoring offensive numbers this year. They're 2nd nationally with 44.5 points per game. Last year, a little bit better. 1st nationally with 46 points per game. S&P Plus offense, and this is a Bill Connolly special. So if you guys follow Bill Connolly, I've been following Bill Connolly for years. Uh, he's now with ESPN. Uh, but I, I really put a lot of stock in his S&P numbers. I think that is, uh, those are some of the best advanced statistical metrics you have out there for college football. Uh, last year, they were 40, they were first nationally in S&P plus offense. This year, they're fourth. So again, they're good. They're awesome. They're still top five. They're elite, but they're just not what they were last year in S&P plus. Um, in terms of explosive ability, they're, they're, pretty similar. They are sixth this year in plays of 30 or more yards and fifth in plays of 40 or more yards. So awesome. Last year, a little bit better. They were fifth nationally in plays of 30 or more yards last year and second nationally in plays of 40 or more. Uh, Third down percentage, this this is a a spot where they dropped a little bit offensively. They're 21st nationally in third down conversions at 46%. Last year, they were second nationally at 53%. Sack rate, very similar, but again, a little bit better last year. They They are fifth nationally this year in their overall sack rate. They were fourth nationally last year. And I know some of you are probably sitting there wondering, like, Tyler, why does that matter? Why do we care about Ohio State's offense last year? Well, really, guys, the reason I want to give you this perspective is I know there are a lot of Georgia fans out there. And look, I don't want to speak for every Georgia fan. I don't know every Georgia fan. I don't speak for all Georgia fans. I'm just telling you, like, the people I interact with, a lot of them have a very healthy concern about the Ohio State offense. Really, it goes back to what we saw in the SEC Championship game a couple of weeks ago against LSU when they threw for, what, 500 against us. And uh, that concerned a lot of people when you consider Ohio State's reputation as this insanely high-powered offense that can throw the ball all over the yard. And people aren't wrong to be somewhat concerned because Ohio State is very, very good offensively. But I just want to give you that perspective to make sure that we understand that while Ohio State is still awesome this year offensively, this is not the 2021 Ohio State offense, which was one of the better offenses we've seen statistically in quite some time, rivaling some of those Oklahoma offenses under Lincoln Riley with those Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks. This year's Ohio State offense is still really good, as I've made clear. They're still awesome. I would still categorize them as elite. They still have playmakers all over the field. They just don't have as many playmakers all over the field. A guy like Marvin Harrison Jr., he, who might be the best receiver in the country. I know that it was Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee that won the Blitnikoff Award for the nation's best receiver, which I think is kind of laughable. I know he had some big moments in big games, but I mean, he's not the same receiver as Marvin Harrison Jr. Marvin Harrison Jr., in my estimation, based off all the, the films that he had been all year long, guys, is the best receiver that we have faced to this point. 
And he was really good last year too. But you know what? Had a hard time getting targets. Had a hard time getting on the field consistently because you had, oh, I don't know, first round draft picks like Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and then you had Jackson Smith and Jigba in front of him as well. Jackson Smith and Jigba was the, supposed to be their Heisman Trophy contender this season, this season, got hurt in week one against Notre Dame, tried to come back against Toledo, kind of re-aggravated his injury, and really haven't seen him at all since then. And we'll go over their personnel in a lot more detail later on in the episode, but the reality is they just they have a lot of really good weapons all over the field. They do. They just don't have as many as they did last year. And I also don't think they have some of the explosiveness in those weapons that they had last year. Like Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Buka, those guys are both awesome receivers. Like they are elite receivers, but they aren't, in my opinion, they don't have that extra level, that that extra gear in terms of speed down the field that guys like especially like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave as well, maybe to a slightly lesser degree. But the bottom line is, going back to what I'm trying to say here, I do understand why some Georgia fans out there might be on edge about facing this Ohio State offense based off what we saw against LSU. I just want to give you the context here, right? I just want to give you a full picture and say, yes, they're really good. We've also played some really good offenses this year, but they're not. I know a lot of people are based off what they saw from Ohio State, not just this year, but the past couple years. And I would just say that while this Ohio State offense is awesome, it's not as awesome as it was last year uh, when they were just like borderline unstoppable until they played Michigan. Michigan just punched them right in the mouth. But those are the overall numbers. Uh, but I want to take a deeper look. Let's add some more context to this. You guys know, as I told you, when we did this on the defense side of the ball for Ohio State, I'm a context guy. Numbers are good. They can be very instructive, but let, let's add some context to it. So let's take a deeper look to see how the Buckeyes fared against the best defenses on their schedule. Now, I got to give Ohio State credit. You got to give the Big Ten credit here, right? They actually played seven top 40 defenses in yards per play. So I know one of the narratives out there that people might go to, they see all these great numbers Ohio State's putting up. It's like, well, yeah, but like, what kind of defenses are they playing against? So it's like, well, I mean, statistically, they're playing against some really good defenses. Seven top 40 defenses. That's more than half the defenses they played this year. But let's look at how they fared against those seven top 40 defenses that they played this season. So Iowa, who's actually first nationally in yards per play, giving up only 4.1 yards per play. Very stingy Iowa defense. Very well coached. Very physical. Against Iowa, the Buckeyes put up 54 points. You say, man, God, they scored 54 points against the number one defense in the country in yards per play. Like, we don't stand a chance. Like, what are they going to do to us after what we saw against LSU in the SEC Championship game? Well, I mean, yeah, they put up 54 points, but um, if you actually watch that game, which I did at the time, I went back and watched again, preparing for all this preview of the of the Peach Bowl. Yeah, they put up 54 points. Can't take that away from them. They did, but a lot of those points came on short fields because the Iowa offense is one of the worst offenses that I've ever seen. It's um, honestly an insult to offensive football. What you saw from the Iowa Hawkeyes this season on that side of the ball is just flat out unacceptable, abysmal. If I was an Iowa fan, I, I, don't, I don't understand how an Iowa fan could justify spending money going to those games and supporting that program until they fire Brian Ferentz. Yes, Kirk Ferentz's son. Um, it's just like the, the most insane example of nepotism that I think I've ever seen, yet this guy still continues to have a job. It's, it's interesting there. But yes, they scored 54 points, but they only put up 360 total yards of offense, 5.8 yards per play. 5.8 yards per play, solid. It's a good day. You know, it's, it's above average, but it's not elite. 360 yards, I mean, it's, it's solid. It's okay, enough to win the game. Now, part of that is they didn't have to put up that many yards because they were consistently getting short fields. But that's what I want, that's my point here. It's like, yes, they scored 54 against Iowa. And you just look at the box score and you're like, damn, man, like, shoot, that's a 
that's the best yards per play defense in the country. And Ohio State put up 54. Like, dang, man, like they, they are crazy good. Yeah, they're really good, but there's context there. They only had 360 yards in total in that game, 5.8 yards per play. They weren't just gashing Iowa up and down the field. They were helped out significantly by the Iowa offense. You go to Michigan. We know what happened against Michigan that last game of the season and the big game. Michigan third nationally in yards per play, defense uh, 4.45 yards per play. Ohio State actually, guys, I thought played really well offensively against Michigan for most of that game. Uh, Michigan just hit some big plays in the second half of that game, a couple in the first half, but primarily in the second half there, and it kind of broke that game open, and Ohio State kind of got taken out what they wanted to do. But they put up almost 500 yards of offense in that game. They put up 492, 6.4 yards per play, which um, is very good. It's very, very good. Not what they do on average, but still very good. Um, only scored 23 points in that game. Uh, Penn State, six national yards per play, giving up 4.6 yards per play. Ohio State in that game, this is a game Ohio State was I watched this game? It was all, it was the big noon kickoff before the Georgia Florida game. So I was watching this before the the, the Georgia Florida game before we went to that game, and they uh, were down most of that game. Like by Penn State, I mean Ohio State made plays and they had to in the fourth quarter. But Penn State, God man, they kind of gave that way gave that game away. They were up literally all game long until late. But uh, Ohio State put up 452 yards, 7.5 yards per play. So that's elite there in 44 points when it was all said and done against Wisconsin, who is 15th nationally in yards per play, giving up 4.81 yards per play a game. Ohio State put up 539, 7.7 yards per play and 52 points. Honestly, that's probably, I would categorize that probably as the best performance of the year for Ohio State, considering that Wisconsin's a top 15 defense in yards per play. And they just, I mean, they put it to them, like offensively. They were very, very, very good against against Wisconsin. Seven point seven yards for playing against that kind of defense. That's uh, that's elite. That's big time stuff. And then Maryland, twenty seventh nationally um, in yards for play defense. Ohio State only put up four one against Maryland. Five point five yards for play and forty three points. So forty three points. You know, kind of skews how you look at that. But they struggled. I think this was the game that that, that they played the weekend we were in Kentucky. Yeah, they were because I remember coming back from the, from the Kentucky game, racing back to the KSR bar. And because it was cold, just ran. I literally ran back from, or jogged back from Kroger Field to the KSR bar um, and got there. And this game was on. And Maryland had a chance, man. Maryland had a chance to win this game. Ohio State's offense was was not humming in that game. Uh, 401, 5.5 yards per play, 43 points. Against Notre Dame week one, uh, Notre Dame ended up 34th nationally yards per play defensively. Only put up 395 in that game. Only 5.7 yards per play, only 21 points. Rutgers, 37th nationally uh, in yards per play defense. Ohio State, yeah, again, they scored 49 points. So you look at that, you look at the box score, and like, yeah, okay, I mean, they, they, they killed Rutgers. So if you look a little bit deeper, only put up 413 yards in that game. Um, 7. 7.0 yards per play, solid there. But the moral of the story here, at least as far as I'm concerned, is that the Buckeyes offensively put up very good numbers against defenses that statistically were good to very good. Like overall, those are good numbers, right? For the most part, especially against like Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, um, to maybe a slightly lesser degree, Penn State, but against those three teams, which are all top 15 defenses in the country in yards per play allowed. I mean, they put up the lowest number there is 452 yards per game or 452 yards against Penn State, but 7.7 yards per play against Wisconsin, 7.5 against Penn State, 6.4 against Michigan. So they did put up good numbers, not elite numbers, but really good numbers against defenses that, again, were statistically, at least statistically, good to very good. So if you put all that together, those seven games they played against top 40 defenses in yards per play, they averaged 436 yards per game, 6.5 yards per play, and 40 points per game. Those are really, really good numbers against the best defenses that they played all season, top 40 defenses. But, like, although those are good numbers, are those elite numbers? 
No, they're not. They're above average numbers. So then how do you account for their elite overall numbers offensively? Well, what I would say is that those elite numbers overall that I that I read out to you at the, at the outset of the show, those are a product of how they dominated, just flat out destroyed the overmatched teams in their schedule, the teams that simply just could not match up from a talent perspective. I'm talking about Arkansas State. I'm talking about Toledo. I'm talking about Michigan State. I'm talking about Indiana. I'm throwing out the Northwestern game, guys. I know you can say, let's, well, Tyler, that, you can't do that. That's skewing things. Guys, that Northwestern game, like, I don't know what you can really take from that. There were, they had like 35, 40 mile an hour gust of winds in that game. <laughs> and Ohio State, like, they just couldn't throw the ball. Like, they didn't even try. Like, they were just going to run the ball every time. Like, it's just, it was, it's not instructive to me on what this Ohio State offense is capable of because the weather conditions just made it that way. So I, I threw that game out. But look at the four other games Arkansas State, Toledo, Michigan State, Indiana. Listen to this, guys. Against those four teams who, who I, Ohio State just flat out just, outclasses beyond belief in talent against those four teams the Ohio State offense averaged 644 yards 9.3 yards per play and 57 points per game but again that was against the teams that were truly just helpless to stop them they just had their way with those teams and that's how you get the elite overall numbers now of course I'm not an idiot here okay any offense is going to perform worse on average against the best defense on their schedule. That's true for us. That's true for any offense in the country. Okay. I, I'm not sitting here trying to sell you that that's not. It is true, of course. What I'm trying to say is like when you look at that, you say, okay, how did Ohio State fare against the top 40 defense, like the actual good defense they face? And how did they fare against these four other teams that they just flat out outmatched from a talent perspective? It's night in day guys that is a precipitous fall we're going from 644 to 436 yards per game we're going from 9.3 yards per play to 6.5 yards per play we're talking about a 210 yards per game difference a 2.8 yards per play difference and a 17 points per game difference against those good defenses well let me ask you this which group does our defense fall in which group does the georgia defense fall in it's certainly not the latter right so all of the Georgia fans out there that are just on pins and needles about this Ohio State offense and just concerned to death, you're working yourself sick. And I get it. Like I, 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 you guys know how I, how I operate. Like I'm always the kind of guy who prepares for the worst and hopes for the best, right? So I, I'm, I'm like, okay, I mean, Ohio State's offense is really good. Like this is this is going to be a tough challenge. I, I do get it. And Ohio State has performed well against some good defenses. What I would say is like, I expect Ohio State to get over 400 yards in this game. I expect Ohio State to average somewhere between 5.5 to 6.5 yards per play. I expect them to score somewhere between probably 21 to 30 points in this game. That's what the numbers tell us that Ohio State has done to the better defense on their schedule. It's somewhere in that range, right? But I also don't expect them to put up 600 plus yards. I don't expect them to put up eight to nine yards per play. I don't expect them to score 50 plus. That's what they do to Arkansas State, the Toledo's of the world. Those are the teams they are doing that to. So yes, respect Ohio State offense. They are very good. They're very talented. They are. They will pose a significant challenge to our defense. I think this is the best overall offense that we've played all year. I know Tennessee statistically um, is more explosive, all those things. I think Ohio State is more well-rounded. I think they can do I think they're, let's say this, I think their passing attack is the best passing attack that we faced all year. I think CJ Straw is better than Hinden Hooker. He doesn't have the running element, but I do think as a passer, he is he is better. Like, he's absolutely a more accurate passer. He has 
He can layer balls in a way that I don't see Hinton Hooker do. I think their receivers are better I, I, I as a whole. I mean, yes, Jalen Hyatt's awesome. Tillman was hurt most of the year. As a whole, the Ohio State offense, especially their passing game, I think is better. So they will be a challenge. I'm not sitting here trying to tell you guys they're not. They are going to be a challenge, and it's going to be really, 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 really difficult to deal with some of the things that they do. But this offense is also human. They are not unstoppable. And just don't let some of those inflated numbers against those inferior opponents fool you. This offense, while very productive, very good, even elite, is mortal. It's a very human offense against actual defenses, which is exactly what they're going to face New Year's Eve in Atlanta. So there are the numbers, guys. Kind of want to start out there and, and I kind of put some of you at ease because I know there is a lot of consternation out there among some of the fan base about about how good this Ohio State offense is and and how we might match up with them based on what we saw against LSU in the SEC Championship game. But there's a lot more to come. I'm going to go over what they do schematically here in a few minutes. We're going to do the personnel in a minute. But before we move any further, let me make sure to tell you guys about our good friends at my bookie. Right now, guys, we are dead in the middle of the 12 days of giveaways where my bookie is just trying to give you money, guys. We've got NFL free plays, got college football free plays, got some free parlays. They're just trying to hook you guys up and give you guys some money to bet with that you can turn into some actual real hardcore cash here down the road. So make sure if you haven't already, guys, go to mybookie.ag, use that promo code UGA. You got a couple more weeks of it, guys. So make sure if you've been kind of putting it off, you've been procrastinating, you're like, yeah, I'll do it at the end of the season. Well, now is the time. We only got a couple weeks left for that promo code to actually work for you guys. So again, it's mybookie.ag. Use that promo code UGA. And on top of the 12 days of giveaways, they're still going to match your first deposit up to $200 in actual cash. There's no strings attached there. Whatever you bet, they're going to match match that up to $200. And then once you bet that initial deposit, then that money can be withdrawn from your account to do whatever you want with it. So make sure you jump on this today, guys, while you still can and bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, guys, we've gone through the numbers. Let's get into some scheme talk here. Let's talk about what this Ohio State Buckeye offense likes to do from a schematic standpoint. If I was trying to classify what this Ohio State offense is, which is exactly what I'm trying to do here, I would call it an NFL-style spread, all right? It, it is a spread offense, 
but they have some NFL style principles in, in terms of the pass concepts they run, some of the, the run game principles that they utilize. It's an NFL style spread. They operate primarily out of shotgun. Like we're talking 85 to 90% of the time they're out of shotgun. It, it differs on a game to game percentage. I, I charted the, uh, the Penn state games. That was the game other than the Michigan game. The one they came closest to losing, I think it was 88% of their snaps in that game that they were operating out of shotgun. All right. So that's what they want to do. They, they will go under center occasionally when they do go under center guys, they run the football 80% of the time. Now, Sometimes in bowl games, when you have an extended period of time, you have a couple of weeks here to self-scout yourself. You come out in the bowl game and you have some tendency breakers. But if we're going off what they have done all season long, they run the ball 80% of the time when they go under center. They also utilize a lot of pistol when they're in shotgun. And when when they utilize pistol, guys, they're going to be 80% either run or play action off a of pistol. Like that that is what they would like in shot when they're in shotgun, when the quarterback is is back from the center and they have the running back lined up directly behind them pistol, they are they're trying to run the football there. Now again, they they, they might break some tendencies with, with time to self scout, but based off what we've seen so far this year, that's what you've seen from this Ohio State offense. The one thing I would say makes them different than like a true NFL style offense is most NFL offenses these days, guys, right? They, they skew towards the pass. There are a few offenses that run the ball more than they throw it. I mean, the Falcons, obviously, because they don't have a quarterback. Uh, the Titans, they still run the ball a lot. The, the Ravens run the ball a lot. But most of these offenses in the NFL today, I mean, they might run the ball 20, 25 times a game, right? And they're throwing the ball 35, 30, 35, 40 times a game. Well, that's not, at least throughout the season, that's not what Ohio State has done. They've run the ball 53% of the time. However, when I watch this team play against teams that actually can threaten them, which honestly the Big Ten was garbage this year. I think the Big Ten was the worst Power 5 conference this year. The ACC was certainly right there, but the Big Ten was just awful. I think either the ACC or the Big Ten was the worst Power 5 conference. I think the Pac-12 was better than the, the Big Ten, if you're asking me. I mean, heck, Washington State went into... I know it's just one I said a game. Washington State goes into Wisconsin, wins that game. Washington beats the hell out of Michigan State. So I think you can certainly make the argument that the Big Ten was right there with the ACC, if not the actual worst conference in the Power Five this year. So they really weren't challenged all that often. But when they were, they leaned on the pass. Like when they had when they had to have a play, when they get concerned, when they're like, oh my God, like this is a game we could lose. They want to throw the ball. They want to lean on the pass, and they want to win with the pass. So, for example, we know they lost the Michigan game. Penn State, I told you a few minutes ago, was the next game they were closest to losing. They were down most of that game until the fourth quarter. They made some plays, pulled away. Good for them. Won the game, right? But they easily could have lost the game. Most game, I thought that they were actually going to lose that game. And in those two games, one of which they lost, the other one they almost lost, they threw the ball 82 times compared to 55 rushes. When their back is against the wall, they want to throw the football. Why is that? Because their receivers are the best players on their team. Their quarterback is exceptionally accurate. Also, right now, their top running back is out. He's been out for a month plus. Travion Henderson is not playing. Now, Mayan Williams, their guy who's kind of carried the load in, in his in his absence, is a really good player in his own right, but he's not Travion Henderson. He's not that type of explosive talent. So if you factor all that in, it's like, yeah, when games get tight, like they want to go to what they think they do best. And what they think they do best is throw the football. The 53% overall rushing numbers, that's really just a function of them just like killing a lot of teams that they play and just like running the clock out late in the game, kind of like we do. And that's really what that is. But when they need to move the football, they want to throw it. And then from a personnel standpoint, 
with the packages they run, they they run a base 11 personnel package. So that, that's their base offense. They're really not super multiple. This is not one of those teams that's going to formation you to death. It's not like Gus Malzahn, you know, when Auburn was was, was making their run and, and he was new to college football and he was like confusing everyone and, and giving teams coordinators headaches. And they were just putting so much window dressing out there and formationing teams to death. That's not really what Ohio State does. They only run a couple different formations, really. Um, in fact, five or six different looks is basically what I've seen all year when I've done my film study with this team. They'll run 11 personnel where they're tied in flexed out. They'll run 11 personnel where they're tied in kind of in, in as like an H-back. Um, they'll motion the running back out to empty occasionally. They don't do that a ton. They do that more with Henderson, not as much with Mayan Williams. They have 12 personnel in their arsenal, but they rarely use it. Um, in fact, when they do go to 12 personnel, that is a big run indicator. They're, they're 90 plus percent run out of 12 personnel. And as I mentioned earlier, they will go under center occasionally, about 10 to 15-ish percent of the time. And when they go under center, it's primarily an offset eye look. And they will run the ball 80 plus percent of the time when they are under center. And when they throw the ball, it's almost always play action. It's always play action when it, when they're going to throw the ball when they're under center. Their run game is not super diverse. Um, it's not exclusively a zone run game, but it's pretty close to it. They are what I would call an outside zone run team. That is their base run play. Some of you might call it stretch. I call it outside zone. It's the same thing, right? They want to get the get the defense flowing. They give the uh, the running back an outside track, and he's looking for those cutback lanes, right? So when you when you play that defensively, it's really 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 important to keep gap integrity and to not get washed with all the traffic because if you do, then you're going to open up opportunities for them to put their foot in the ground, get upfield, and and hit that lane. Trayvon Henderson was elite at that. Mayan Williams is still really good at it. He's just not as explosive as Trayvon Henderson. He's still awesome, but just not quite as dangerous in terms of like hitting those explosive plays. But they are an outside zone run team. They will pair it sometimes with some inside zone. They'll run some duo stuff every now and then. If you guys aren't familiar what duo is, um, duo double is what that means, right? So duo is basically in, inside zone where you're trying to get double teams on the interior defensive linemen. That's really what you're trying to do. We run some of that. Most teams in the country run some of that. And Ohio State is no different. But they don't. That's not what they do by trade. They are again uh, heavy, heavy, heavy outside zone. Especially when they get in shotgun and they're in pistol. They like, that's what they run when they're in pistol. Like, if they're gonna run the ball when they're in pistol. When they run the ball a lot when they're in pistol, it is outside zone almost all the time. That's what they're running. They don't have. They don't really do a ton of of jet sweeps and that kind of stuff. They. Don't really run like a ton of counter or power or anything like that. I mean, I'm not I saw power a couple of times from them in my film study, but like it's rare. You don't see it much. This is a heavy zone running football team. Um, from a tempo standpoint, this is not a tempo team. Okay, this is not Tennessee. That was one of the things that concerned me about that game is because they just don't let you sub. Um, but that's not really what Ohio State does. Ohio State's more in line with what we do offensively with tempo. And you guys know you watch us all year, like we use tempo selectively. We use it strategically, but we don't do it as a rule, right? And that's what Ohio State is. It's it's something they will use. It's in their arsenal. It's in their toolbox, and they'll use it when they feel like it gives them an advantage against certain teams, especially a team that might not have as much depth defensively, which is not really us. We have a lot of depth, and we rotate a lot. But they will use it, and they'll use it selectively. So just be aware. It's something that, that they do have in their arsenal, something that they can pull out and use at any given point in time during the game. They also don't really do any design quarterback run stuff with C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud, we'll get to the personnel here in a minute. I'll talk a little bit more about him and my, and my take on him. He is really good. 
he's he is like athletic enough, right? But he's not a guy that's going to hurt you with his legs. Number one, he doesn't look to, uh, even on scrambles and things like that. But like design quarterback run game, which we see like Tennessee would do some design quarterback run stuff. Auburn does design quarterback run stuff. Florida did design quarterback run stuff. Even Kentucky with Will Levis would do some design quarterback run stuff. Missouri did some design quarterback run stuff. Oregon uses some design quarterback run game. Most of the teams in the country you played in this day and age use design QB run game to some degree. We do, right? To some degree. Some use it more than others, but most have it like in their arsenal in some way, shape, or form. Ohio State does not. They do not do any design QB run stuff with C.J. Stroud. Now, again, when you have a month plus, maybe they break out some some tendency breakers and they decide to use him because he's capable. He's not like a super athletic guy. But like he's athletic enough where he could like pull out his own read when you're not paying attention. The backside end is just crashing and pull that out. Sure, he could do that and pick up like a, a fourth and one first down. But they just don't do it with him. They really don't, which is different for us. Like really, that, that's kind of the exception for us. Almost every team we play this year, I would say like 75% of the teams we played this year had a quarterback that they would use in design QB run game. And some of them like were dynamic runners. So guys like Robbie Ashford and guys obviously like Anthony Richardson that you have to defend very differently because you have to have a guy account for them and their ability to scramble, their ability to just take off and run. With Ohio State, we're not going to have to do that. So that makes them, they're still really good offensively. They're still really dangerous. But that is, that's something that makes them, I think, a little bit more human. Because if C.J. Stroud was a guy that would take off and run and hurt you with his legs with what he can do with his arm, like, oh my God, like maybe they would be kind of unstoppable. But that's not his game. So that allows you to put more guys in coverage. You don't have to dedicate a guy to spying him and mirroring him wherever he goes. You don't have to do that with him because he's just not that kind of threat. But when we get back from this last break, I'm going to talk more about the Ohio State offensive personnel. First, though, let me remind you guys about our friends at Alumni Hall. I know the holiday season has come and gone, but I also know some of the loved ones in your life might have been kind enough to gift you a little cash. It's probably burning a hole in your pocket right now. And of course, the after Christmas deals are going on right now, and Alumni Hall is joining in on that action So if you are looking to put some of that Christmas cash to use on some Georgia gear, there is no better place to do that than at Alumni Hall. They have all the best brands. They've got Nike. They have Nike Golf. They've got Peter Millar. They've got Johnny O. They've got Cutter and Buck. They've got anything. Whatever your preference, they've got it. You name it, they've got it. They've got men's gear. They've got women's gear. They've got kids' gear. They've got accessories for your car, for your house, for your office. Whatever you're in the market for, they have you covered. So make sure to stop in today inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in the Classic City or online at alumnihall.com because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, guys, we left off talking a little bit about Ohio State's offensive personnel, primarily the quarterback position, and how CJ Stroud is an incredibly gifted passer, but is not a dynamic runner. So let's continue on with that trend. And let's let's stick with C.J. Stroud just for a minute here. I talked plenty about how he is not really a major threat with his legs, but I want to go into more detail that. It's not so much that they don't use him in the design run game. They don't. They really don't use him at all in any sort of design QB run game. But he is just extraordinarily hesitant in general to run the football at all. It's like to move the chains with his legs, to pick up yards with his legs, even when we're talking about wide open running lanes, guys, like lanes that you and I could run through and pick up first downs to the college of, like we could even do that. He just flat out essentially refuses to do it. If this is a visual medium, I have plenty of examples from my film study to show you guys to illustrate just how reluctant C.J. Stroud is to run the football. He keeps his eyes downfield to a fault. Now, a quarterback, generally, even if they are mobile and they will use their legs, you'd like them to keep their eyes downfield so that they can you know, hit some plays off the scramble drill and create some explosive opportunities for their offense. But C.J. Stroud does it to a fault. Like He will completely eschew massive running lanes. We're talking about like lanes where you pick up 20, 25, 30 yards and you say, no, I'm just going to throw the ball to bounds. I'm going to try to fit the ball into a tight window. And I think part of that is that he is he is so gifted in terms of his ability to put the ball into really tight windows and just place it almost wherever he wants to so he just leans on that and relies on that I think too much at times to their detriment but he is flat out deadly man he is deadly with that arm he is a passer to the bone and he is the most accurate passer that I've seen in a long time at the college level. In fact, according to Pro Football Focus, which I always tell you guys to take with a grain of salt because I don't think they're always very transparent with how they do their grading, and there's also the human error involved there. But hey, you know it, it's better than nothing, so it gives us something. But according to Pro Football Focus, C.J. Stroud led the Power Five this season in accuracy plus throws. What that means, what they define as accuracy plus, those are throws where he not only does he hit the receiver, but he hits the receiver in stride to, to the point where they can continue to run and make plays, pick up yards after the catch. I mean, guys, he makes wow throws seem pretty routine. He layers the ball better than any quarterback I've seen in a long time. I'm serious. Like In terms of just a pure passer, he's as good as I have seen in, in quite some time. I don't want to say ever. I don't know if I want to go with the E word, but in, in quite a while at the college level for sure. And he can make all the throws. I mean, whether you know, you're throwing a nine route, whether you're throwing a dig route, whether you're throwing the skinny post, whether you're throwing a, a deep out from the far hash, he can hit every single throw. I firmly believe he is the best passer that we have seen, not just this season. I would actually go out on a limb and I would argue that C.J. Stroud is the best passing quarterback that a Georgia defense under Kirby Smart has seen. And I know that's saying a lot. I know that's a big statement. I know that we faced a Heisman Trophy winner in Baker Mayfield. I know that we've faced Bryce Young. I know that we faced Tua Tungavailoa. I know that we faced Jalen Hurts. I know that we faced Joe Burrow. I know that we faced Hendon Hooker. But like, when it comes to just like putting the ball on the money, I don't think there's anyone that we have played under Kirby Smart that can do it as well as C.J. Stroud does when he has a clean pocket. Okay, 
All those other guys are really good. Like Joe Burrow, awesome accuracy. Like really, really awesome. I think Joe Burrow is a better quarterback because Joe Burrow is more mobile and was willing to use his legs. But C.J. Stroud, in terms of his accuracy and what he can do with his arm as a pure passer, is as good as I have seen. And it's not that he's completely immobile. He's not a statue back there. He's not one of those guys that's just sitting duck. He actually has a little bit of athleticism. He's not like he's not like a super athletic guy. Like he's not going to again not going to run for a ton of yards, but it's not like he can't move at all. And that's what makes it baffling about his like just re- complete refusal really. That's the only way I can phrase it. To, to run the football. But uh, he, he moves well in the pocket. He slides in the pocket. He moves up in the pocket. Those kind of things. But when he does not have a clean pocket, that's when things go awry for him. And, and that's not unusual. That's the case for almost every quarterback. But when he sits back and he's just allowed to operate freely and has a clean pocket, he is going to pick us apart if we allow that to happen. And he is, and they're, they're, they might score 50. Like they, I said earlier, they probably wouldn't score 50. Well, if we don't get pressure on him, they might score 50 on us because he is that deadly with his arm if he's allowed to just sit back there freely to operate to do whatever he wants. So you just can't let that happen. But also doesn't hurt that he has an elite group of wide receivers to work with. There's going to be no Jackson Smith and Jigaba, who was their their leading receiver coming into the season, or who's expected to be their best receiver coming into the season. I mentioned he got banged up week one against Notre Dame and really not been a factor since then. He's essentially opted out of the season. That's what that's what happened. He didn't use those, those words, the, that terminology, but that's essentially what's happened here. He had that huge like 300-plus yard games at a Rose Bowl record against Utah uh, in last year's Rose Bowl, kind of jumping on the scene there when he was kind of in the shadow for, I guess, half of 2021 of, of like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. He kind of came on late in that year as, as their guy and kind of culminated with that Rose Bowl uh, just outstanding performance. But he is not going to be playing in this game. But that doesn't mean they don't have incredible receivers. They do. Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Egbuka, and Julian Fleming, that's their top trio at receiver. Harrison went for over 1,100 yards. In fact, he went for 11.57, 72 receptions, 12 touchdowns. Egbuka, who's a sophomore, uh, went for a little over 1,000 himself with nine touchdowns on 66 receptions. Julian Fleming, there's a big drop-off between the top two and Julian Fleming, but Julian Fleming himself had 29 catches for 462 yards, six touchdowns. And Egbuka and Fleming, guys, and the last two, or I guess two of the last three cycles, were the number one receivers in their respective classes. They were both top 10 five-star prospects coming out of high school. We were in it for Julian Fleming. We, we recruited Julian Fleming for a long time, obviously, ends up going to Ohio State. And he's a little bit different than Harrison and Egbuka. According to their website, Fleming is not as tall as Harrison. And if you look on the field, he's probably not quite as tall. Harrison's listed at 6'4", although he looks more like he's like, I don't know, 6'2 and 6'3". But Fleming is a bigger body. Like He's 205, which is the same weight as Marvin Harrison, but it's just built different because he's only he's listed only 6'2". So he's just a bigger, more physical receiver, doesn't have the top-end speed, doesn't have the overall athleticism that either Egbuka or Harrison have. Egbuka's uh, a little smaller. He's, he's their slot guy, 6'1", 205. Can play out wide if you need to, but he's more of a slot guy. But Harrison, like he is their number one guy. Like he's He is their X guy. Um, he's not a burner, per se. Like He has really good speed. I'm not saying he's slow. Listen to me. I'm not saying he's slow. He's got good speed. But that's not what makes him the receiver that he is. It is his twitchiness which makes him 
an exceptionally dangerous route runner. That's how he creates separation. It's not Jalen Hyatt who just creates separation by speed and speed alone. Jalen Hyatt, like he, I don't even think Jalen Hyatt ever runs the entire route tree. I don't think he has the entire route tree under his under his mastery. I think he basically just runs nine routes more or less. He'll run a nine route and he'll run like a little hitch basically. But in terms of speed, Jalen Hyatt, who won the Blitnikoff Award for Tennessee, like he is a burner, right? And that's how he creates separation. He just runs past people. You saw him do it to Alabama over and over and over again. That's not necessarily what Harrison does. He is an expert route runner. He does have the the entire route tree in his game, and he'll run every single route, and he runs them all exceptionally well. That twitchiness, the ability to drop his hips and get in and out of breaks makes him exceptionally dangerous. And it does concern me to a degree with a guy like Keely Ringo, who I love Keely. I think he's a really talented player. You guys know that. I've kind of had his back a little bit over the past couple of weeks since that LSU game where he did, uh, did not have his best game. But my one concern has always been with Keely is he's got great speed. He's big, physical, long, all those things. Got a lot of tools, but I think he's a little stiff in the hips at times. So when he plays against guys who are really like shifty, twitchy route runners, I think that gives him trouble because he has trouble flipping his hips and turning and changing direction fast enough to stay with these guys who are so twitchy in and out of their breaks and their routes. I do think that's what makes both Harrison Jr. and Egbuka really, really dangerous receivers, and that's how they create separation. Fleming's a, a little bit of a different story. I, honestly, I think Fleming's the kind of guy that Keeley and Kamari Laster, uh, for that matter, both match up with really well. I, he doesn't concern me near as much. Like Most of his plays come from two things, either A, like 50-50 balls, where he just goes in high points balls, or he's just got man coverage, and he can kind of like use his body to out-physical you because you're you're paying more attention to Harrison Jr. and Ibuka, and he gets that man coverage on the outside, and he can make some things happen there. But he, he's certainly not their top option. It's really, it's Harrison Jr., Ibuka, like number one, like one and one A, and then Fleming is like, a little, he's, he's a good bit down the way. Like there's a gap between those two and Julian Fleming. You also cannot forget about their tight end. You do not want to make that mistake. Now, he's not Brock Bowers. He's not even Darnell Washington, but... Cade Stover, number eight at tight end for them, has been a much bigger weapon for this Ohio State offense than their tight ends have been in the past under Ryan Day. He's already got 35 catches for 399 yards, so basically 400 yards, 11.4 yards per catch, five touchdowns on the year. They will flex him out. They will, he kind of... I guess he kind of plays inline, but like a true inline tight end, kind of plays H back at times. You don't see them do much formationally. But you compare that to Jeremy Ruckert from last year, who was their number one tight end, and he's already got better numbers than Jeremy Ruckert had in 13 games last year. So last year, Ruckert had, what, 27 catches for three? No, he had uh, 26 catches for 309 yards and three touchdowns. So this season, Stover is more of a weapon offensively than Ruckert was. And a, a big part of that is, when you have the receivers that they have, you can't defend everything and everyone. There's a defense has finite resources, right? So you have to make choices. You have to pick your poison. You want to make the, you make the offense play left-handed. When you play Ohio State, making them play left-handed means like making them use their tight ends to beat you, right? If they do, I guess they do. So he gets some more opportunities. It's more one-on-one coverage, and he takes advantage of that. He he is a good receiving tight end. He's bigger. He's physical. I think he might be the most physical guy in their entire team. Um, but he's he's a good solid player who can make us pay. 
if we don't pay attention to him at all. And I, honestly, with some of the issues that we had in coverage from the, from the linebacker position, especially Smile Mondin against LSU, I imagine Ryan Day seeing that and saying, huh, I wonder if we can use our tight end in that role and maybe get him some plays underneath and see what happens there. So he's a weapon as well. It's not just the receivers. But when it comes to pass catchers, while they're all really, really good, they are. And they are dangerous. These guys are studs. But again, I go back to it. Like I said earlier in the episode, kind of the outset here, this is a really awesome Ohio State offense. It's an elite offense. It has an awesome elite group of wide receivers. But the re- I think the primary reason why it isn't the death machine that it was last year is I don't think they have quite the level of talent at receiver. And I know that sounds crazy. And I just got done talking these guys up. They're really good. They are. like In terms of like this year relative to everyone else this year, it might be the best receiving group in, in the country. But they're missing that one guy. Like Harrison's awesome, but he's not Jackson Smith and Jigba, who had 95 catches for 1,600 yards last year, guys. He ain't that, okay? He's really good. He's not that. I don't even think he's quite Garrett Wilson level. I, I don't. I think he's really good. There's a reason he wasn't playing over those guys because they are better. So when you lose some of those guys who are just like NFL first round, like top 10 level draft picks, even though you got guys like Buka and Harrison Jr. and Fleming who are awesome, they're not quite that level. And then we don't have Travion Henderson at running back. Let's go to running back. Travion Henderson is, is a game breaker. I mean, that guy is explosive out of the backfield. In fact, go look at last year as a freshman had 1200 almost yeah, 12 1250 yards rushing last year. 6.8 yards per carry, 15 touchdowns on the ground, had 27 receptions, 312 yards receiving, four touchdowns through the air. That guy's not playing. All right, he's been banged up. He's got ligaments torn, broken bones in his foot. Now, the guy that is going to play, he's been out himself, been banged up at times. He didn't really play much in the mission game. Mayan Williams, who's had a really good year, good player, but he's not as explosive as Travion Henderson is. He's got 817 yards in the year. He's got 13 touchdowns. He's more of a bowling ball. He's more of a physical runner, but he doesn't have quite that extra gear that Travion Henderson has. doesn't mean that he's not a threat. He is, but it's just a different kind of running back. He's also not the threat out of the backfield as a receiver, which I think is another um, reason why Ohio State hasn't been as dynamic offensively this year. They've been really good, but it's not as dynamic because they don't have that threat as a receiver out of the backfield to add one more layer to the defense uh, having to defend against for that with that passing attack. So it, it's going to be Maya Williams as their starter. Dallas Hayden's a guy who's, I think he's a freshman, he's got 510 yards rushing without Henderson. He'll probably be the backup there. Um, Demonte Trainum, who's a transfer, he really didn't play at all until the mission game. Had a solid game there. He's got 92 yards rushing. That's probably the three guys that we're going to see in this game. Um, but Maya Williams with the Lions share of the carries. Um, he is going to be their workhorse. Um, good player, really good player, more physical type back. More of a downhill runner, like one cut, get downhill and just and 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 kind of find that hole, that cutback lane with their with their zone running game. But he is just not quite as dynamic. He just doesn't have quite that extra gear that Travion Henderson does. And then finally, real quick on the Ohio State offensive line. I'm sure a lot of you've heard the name Paris Johnson. He is their starting left tackle. He is projected as a first round pick in the NFL draft this coming season. I think he's a really good player. He's a good athlete out there. He has a good pass set. I question his physicality at times against the better defensive linemen, the more physical defensive lines that he has to face. But from an athletic standpoint, like he is a really good left tackle at the college level. He's going to be a first-round NFL draft pick, at least if you listen to all the draft analysts out there. I've seen a lot better left tackles in my lifetime than I have with Paris Johnson. He's a good player. I, I don't know if I would draft him high in the first round, but he probably will because left tackles are at such a premium. But he'll probably be a first-round draft pick unless something goes crazy 
in the pre-draft process. He's their best offensive lineman. Uh, in fact, their, their two tackles are their best players. It's Paris Johnson at left tackle and then Dewan Jones, a senior, at right tackle. On the interior of their offensive line, at guard and center, they're good. They're not bad. Like You, you don't get to this point. You don't, you don't get to the college playoff if you're bad on the offensive line. But they are vulnerable there on the interior of their offensive line. This is the part of their offensive line when they face the Michigans, when they face the Penn States of the world, where they have more difficulty running the football. Most teams they play can't do that to them. Most teams they play don't have the physicality. When they play, you know, the Michigan States of the world, when they play the Northwesterns, the Indianas of the world. But the better teams that they played, the games that were closest on their schedule, Michigan, Maryland, Penn State. I know Iowa wasn't a close game, but they did have a great offensive performance in that game. Um, Notre Dame in week one. What is one thing that all of those teams have in common is they limited the Ohio State run game, and they primarily did that by just being bigger, stronger, and more physical in the trenches than the Buckeyes were. And again, it's primarily those guys on the interior, the guards and the center. Their their left guard is a guy that was really highly rated. He was a five-star guy coming out a couple years ago. He's a redshirt freshman. His name is Donovan Jackson. He's probably going to be a really good player. He's a really good athlete. But physically, he's not quite there yet. And when you have to match up against a guy like, oh, I don't know, Jalen Carter, that's advantage Georgia all day long. To a lesser degree, redshirt sophomore Luke Weipler on the other side, or at center, he's a guy that is a little bit undersized, but like most centers are. Uh, the right guard, Josh Fryer, same type of deal. They just struggle against the more physical defensive fronts that can kind of control the game in the trenches. And I think if we're able to do that, and this is kind of getting into the our official preview. So basically the goal of these two episodes with our preview of the defense and Ohio State's offense was to give you guys a primer, right? Just get you give you an idea, just get you ready for what we're going to see offensively and defensively from Ohio State. And then Curtis and I are going to come back right before the game, a couple days before the game, and give you our official preview, put all this together. We'll talk about the keys of the game. We'll talk, talk about how to attack Ohio State, all those things, kind of drawing from these episodes. But I just want to give you kind of like a, a primer on their offense and defense. But just a, a quick little tease here. If we're going to win this football game, a big reason for that is we're going to control the trenches. We're going to control line of scrimmage. If we do that, I, I, I don't know if we will, but if we do that, that is how that, that is a major factor in us winning this football game. It's going to be an absolutely imperative part of this football game because if we don't and C.J. Stroud let us sit back there and just pick us apart, he will do exactly that, guys. It will be a long, long afternoon, I guess long night for all us Georgia fans here in the state of Georgia. So uh, we'll get to that with our official preview episode later this week. But that's all I got for you today, guys, previewing this Ohio State offense. Charlie and I will be back in the middle of the week with part two of our bowl picks. And Curtis and I, at least the plan for right now, is for Curtis to be on there with me. Holidays have a way of sometimes getting in the way. But as of right now, we plan on Curtis jumping on here with me to do our official preview episode at the end of the week. But again, I hope everyone had a fantastic holiday season. But it's game week, fellas. It's time to roll. Thank you for being here. I appreciate each and every one of you. I'm Tyler, and as always... Go Dogs!